using technology allows us to adapt in a very linear and somewhat gradual way without being an obstruction. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that you are a danger on the road. Whatever we can do to bring that down, whatever we can do to build solutions and work with customers to prevent that, to save lives, how do we make it so that these products and services that people are using are going to enable them to drive safer Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. And in this episode, we are focused on illuminating the world of micro mobility. And the big idea behind this episode is why does the world of four wheel mobility take up so much mind share and get so much more attention than the world of two wheel mobility or micro mobility? And to illuminate this big idea, we have Dominic Kwong, the co-founder and COO of Damon Motorcycles and Star's very own Fest Vogel, Global Managing Director of Automotive and Mobility here at Star. In this episode, we focus on three areas, the progression of electrification in the world of two-wheel mobility, the concept of safety and how the two-wheeled world of safety is increasing at a rapid pace. And then finally, we'll look at the user experience and how the world of two-wheeled mobility is making significant advances. So let's jump into the discussion and the first voice you'll hear will be that of Dominic Kwok. I'm Dominic Kwong. I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Damon Motorcycles. Our aim is to build the, the world's safest, smartest, connected motorcycle in the world. And uh, quite frankly, my background is, is consumer electronics, actually. I am a, I'm a radio engineer. I helped uh, build and design wireless data infrastructure before the days of the internet. That led me into establishing this beautiful hobby called motorcycling. And then in, uh, in 2016, my co-founder and I, Jay, uh, met over drinks and talking about, hey, what's the future of motorcycles? We love it so much. We want to uh, make sure that uh, riders today, riders in the future and riders of the past can continue riding and enjoy, enjoy the sport that we love so much. We're also joined by Seth Vogel. Seth, hit us with 30 seconds on your background, please. Great. Seth Vogel here. I'm STAR's global head of automotive mobility industry. I've got about 20 years of experience in both industry and consulting. On the industry side, actually working with an OEM supplier in lots of different roles and kind of learning the ins and outs of the automotive business. And within consulting, worked both at large consulting firms and small consulting firms. And now at STAR, you know, STAR is a, a global consultancy focusing on building impactful digital solutions, leveraging our strategy, design, and engineering expertise. Glad to be here today. So first off, guys, I'm confused. I'm confused because the world of four-wheel mobility gets so much press attention. I'm not like in the world of mobility, but I still am aware of trends, e.g. Tesla, etc. But the world of two-wheeled mobility, the future of two-wheel mobility does not get so much attention. My first question to you, Dominic, is why do we think this is? We live in North America. <laughs> I say that somewhat in jest, but if you put on the, um, your North American lenses, a two-wheeled vehicle motorcycle is a recreational vehicle. You do not have to own one. It's not an essential part of transportation. 
four wheels has been elevated to the point where you know you can't get around town unless you're on a four-wheel vehicle like take for example a car or a bus right even to to the extent you know look at a train sure they have more more than four wheels but you know the point is that you sit inside this box and you travel along the box and so when you take off your north american lenses and you put on your global lenses you realize that majority of the world uses two wheels as transportation why one it's super economical two it's incredibly convenient and three which rivals number one and it's a combo cost and also think about certain areas of the world how densely populated they are look at southeast asia you look at indonesia malaysia there is simply no room to fit a footprint of a car and so two wheels is the predominant mode of transportation it's it's a way of life and so that's my view on why four wheels gets the lion's share of the attention versus two wheels i think just to kind of add on to what don was saying you know in, in the us the us has, has always had a very strong love affair with our automo- automotive heritage and kind of our cars and if, and if you look at it i mean the the statistics are pretty amazing in terms of you know 91% of the people in the us uh, are commuting to work 97% of those are using their own personal vehicle but they categorize their personal vehicle as either a truck sedan or a station wagon or an suv honestly it really doesn't make sense from a long term standpoint in terms of getting around and doing it the most economical and most efficient way so i think that you know you're seeing a lot of the a lot of the press coming out of the us around the major oems how they're trying to modernize there's so much buzz going around in terms of all of the new entrance to the market and everything around EVs but at the same time you know there there's just as much happening around the world from a micro mobility or even a you know a two-wheeled motorcycle standpoint and i think that folks are realizing that the future especially in these urban areas and in these cities where you have lots of transportation or you have heavy congestion it just doesn't make sense as dom was saying you know you're going to continue to see more and more of these kind of you know 5 or 10 mile cities and rezoning into having it making it more pedestrian friendly and i think that just goes hand in hand with you know motorcycles and other things of that nature i can't agree more with uh, Seth and and just to you know add an additional point to it covid has kind of shine shone a big light on personal mobility look you look at the market of e-bikes or or just simply pedal bikes has absolutely just exploded shops can't stock enough of these things and that's because frankly public transportation or any public space is dangerous <laughs> can get sick because you can be exposed to someone with uh, with covid potentially or other diseases and whatnot and and you know I don't want to make it sound like you know we're being alarmists <laughs> to say hey the world is ending and stay away from each other and you know lock yourself in a bubble but i think it you know the byproduct of it is that it highlighted that there are many options available to you for mobility outside of four wheels and and you know i know that for myself you know growing up my bicycle was you know kind of like something i can take out for short stints and what not and but i always looked at you know my dad and his car and as being you know the ultimate vehicle to you know control and and frankly for me i've always appreciated motorcycles but it intimidated me to no end right but i thought cars were definitely safer right so yeah i think just to kind of pile on to what don was saying 
I think it's really interesting because we're, we, we keep talking and we keep seeing all of the news focusing on, hey, let's, let's focus on more economical practices. Let's look at the environment. Let's look at the impact. But one of the biggest things that's, that's being overlooked is in terms of the, the carbon footprint, whether it be whether it be EV or whether it be ice engines, but you're still, you know, you're, you're significantly underutilizing a car when, when there's so many more options that are out there. And I think people are starting to see that. And I think uh, to Dom's point, especially in Europe and Asia, it's, it's much more predominant with, with urban and micromobility and kind of the movement, movement of transportation in the cities. But I think that it's something that's getting a lot of steam. So we have the safety, the city is getting bigger and there's also like personal, I don't want to say hygiene, but the maybe a drive away from public transport after the virus. Are there any other trends pushing us towards the world of two-wheel mobility? I mentioned that right off the get-go. You look at the world is getting denser. Traffic systems are are, are getting more convoluted, congested. I mean, I can, you know, there's a number of examples in the U.S. Right? You know, take the 105 in 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 Silicon Valley, right? Or take I forget the highway in in L.A. <laughs> Come two o'clock, it is gridlocked for four hours straight. So, how do we, you know, what like the challenge of of having traffic move is extremely difficult when you have objects that are simply like Tetris boxed in to each other, and there's no room to move. And you know, ironically, you know, having a small footprint like a motorcycle allows us to keep the traffic flowing, so that. Even if we run into a congested situation here, at the very least, you'll see it move. And so, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in, in, in my work at, in China and, and Mexico as well. And you see, if you look at like the traffic in rush hour, it, it moves like the ocean. It, it actually continues to move. There's like little wakes and, and ripples, but that's because people are positioning themselves just to get through, Right. If you look at traffic in, in, in North America, especially in a you know dense urban population like uh, LA and whatnot, nothing moves. <laughs> it seems like it's just stagnant, and and people are are you know obviously they're uh, in, in some ways they're spending too much time with their thoughts and they're getting angry, <laughs> and they're getting angry with themselves, and then they end up getting angry with each other, and just because they're just sitting there thinking about the world, right? So you know with motorcycles, I feel that you know the world continues to move all the time. There's no excuse that you stop. Yeah. And Dom, just to, just to follow on with what you're saying, I, I think those are good points. In addition to that, I would say that technology is, is having a significant impact. So if you looked at you know motorcycles and two-wheeled vehicles of even 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, just operating a motorcycle was much more complicated. You did not have the connectivity that you have today. You did not have the safety features that are being built in. You didn't have the advancements in, in kind of the, the suits and the body armor and the helmets and all of the other things that are helping to make, you know, a two-wheeled motorcycle experience safer than it has been in the past. And I, and I think, so we can't underplay how technology has really been kind of changing it to where, you know, it used to be a very small subset of the population that was interested in it. And I think we're seeing more and more that with these advancements in technology and safety, and connectivity, it, it's open to a broader audience. Yeah, I think to set uh, another valid and excellent, excellent point, the work that we do at Damon, for example, we identify, like our customer demographic are the millennials, 20 to 40. And and so 
understanding the background, the history of a millennial, or and more succinctly, their experience growing up, they're used to going like jumping into a car with you know five, seven airbags, seat belts, <laughs> and uh, you know like for myself and all of you growing up. You know, that wasn't the case. It wasn't a given that you have a vehicle with all these safety features, you know, the traction control, the ABS and whatnot. And so, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing cars get progressively safer, right? Almost to the point where they're removing the, the one variable that causes accident, which is the driver themselves. But motorcycles, you know, you tell me the latest, uh, you know, safety advancement in, in motorcycles outside of Damon, and I'll give you a hundred bucks <laughs> if you can tell me that. You know, some would argue that ABS and traction control are safety items. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But they're, you know, in my opinion, they're they're reactive systems. Like just by the nature of, of their names by you know alone, anti-lock brakes, you know, you've already or traction control, you've already done something to get yourself in trouble. Right. And so you're relying on technology to get yourself out of trouble. And so, you know, just, just to follow on with uh, Seth and, and the emergence of technology, embracing it, technology absolutely can work for us. We have to make sure that it's not just a widget, you know, a widget, a widget doesn't do anything. We have to utilize technology to give us, uh, you know, in my opinion, on a motorcycle, the, the, the best thing that technology can do for us is to give us awareness of our surroundings, awareness of you know, our vulnerability, because on a motorcycle, you are exposed 100%. And that is both quite positive, you know, that, that it can be also be described as free, meaning like you feel like the world is free or you're free in the world, but at the same time, you are vulnerable. There is no protection. There is no, there's no second chance. It's not like I can, you know, someone can hit my bike or frankly, I mean, if they hit my bike, that's kind of lucky, but chances are they're going to hit me because I'm, I'm not covered in a cage. Right. So I like where you're going Dom, in terms of it's less about being reactive, more about being proactive. You, you touched on two other points, you know, one, you know, at Star, when we're always doing engagements, almost every single time, it's like you put the user at the center of everything. And then it's kind of that holistic user experience, that holistic user journey. And I think you're seeing that kind of come all the way through. And I think that's also influencing people's preferences in terms of the full mobility journey, not just looking at one part of it. And I think, you know, you guys, especially we've discussed in the past, are looking in that, at that holistic user experience. So I think that that's just, just so much important, so important to think about. And then I think as you're, as you're looking through it, it's not just, like you said, traction control, but it's traction control along with anti-lock brakes, along with kind of understanding the power outputs in, that are happening with the, the throttle and how that's happening but then also incorporating proactive things. We, we've seen stuff mature from an automotive standpoint, whether that be like distracted driver, lane assist, lane departure warning, and all those things. And, and now we're seeing a lot of that technology trickle through to you know some of the more leading edge motorcycle manufacturers. So there's, there's two things that, that I wanted to achieve with this episode. First is understanding why there's this disparity between the four and the two wheel in terms of attention. And then really understanding what's the future of the two-wheeler and, and how the two-wheel is now going to come up and get more attention. And you guys, specifically Seth in his first response, shared 
well, what I believe to be the case here, which is technology. And so I want to talk about electrification. I want to talk about safety and I want to talk about user experience. First to you, Dominic, regarding Damon, I hear you have a goal of zero fatalities for the bike that you're producing. Um, so let's dive into safety and I want to learn what you're planning. And what, what are the, well, first off, what are the core issues and then how you're planning to address these safety issues with the bike? Perfect. We have an extremely audacious goal. By 2030, there will be zero fatalities on a, on a Damon motorcycle. And, you know, first step for us to achieve that is to recognize that, you know, it is safety is the biggest bar for uh, mass adoption of two wheel. You know, quite simply, you ask anybody, anybody, what if you say, how do you feel about a motorcycle safety? And they'll laugh at you. Why are those two words in the same sentence? You know, motorcycle safety, it's death, right? So knowing that it's such a high bar and seeing how in the automotive industry that vehicles are getting progressively safer and safer and safer, once you deep dive into it, you realize that there is no reason why a motorcycle can't be safer. There's no reason why we cannot utilize the technology that is found in cars today and adapt it to a motorcycle. And so that's exactly what we did at Damon. Like our mandate, our mission was to lower the barrier of safety so that it would be then considered a viable option for you know mobility and transportation. And so what we do is we literally take automotive commodity devices, radar, cameras, things that you would find on today's $15,000, $20,000 Honda Civics, and we add, we couple that with our, with our unique software to make them work onto a motorcycle application. It is not as straightforward as I just said, <laughs> of course. There's a lot of nuances with automotive devices. You know, the number one nuance that maybe not everybody understands or recognizes that automotive devices are made to look for automotive things. So cars, trucks, they're not meant to you know, look for items that are smaller than they are. And that's, you know, the kind of like the, the attitude where, you know, survival of, of, of the fittest or survival of the biggest is, is true, right? So, you know, to me, it's fair, but at the same time, these are, these are fundamental challenges when, when coming up with a, a safety system for motorcycles and using automotive sensors. It's just a how it's, it's how we do it, why we do it, or what is it exactly? What we're doing is we're, we're creating a, a safety system called Copilot. Basically it scans the world for threats. So it's scanning around you 360 degrees. And the essence of the system is to give the rider a sense an awareness of your surroundings without having to put your head on a swivel. Those that ride will totally understand where I'm coming from. It doesn't matter if you're riding a power two-wheeler or a human power two-wheeler, right? It doesn't matter. We are all taught when we, when we ride motorcycles or even bicycles that we have to scan the road for threats because we are the most vulnerable thing out there aside from a pedestrian or a little dog or something like that. Anything bigger than we are will easily wipe us out. And so... The co-pilot system is meant to give the rider this awareness. And, and the way we do that is, you know, we provide this feedback mechanism. So when we detect a threat, we let the rider know the danger of that threat, where it is and the intent and, and the priority of that threat. And so we use uh, visual. So it's very similar to what's done in cars. 
We have a, a feedback mechanism that's located on our windscreen. So that's in your peripheral vision. And so we have different priorities for alerts. So, you know, we also have haptic feedback. So haptic feedback is, is simply vibration. So we put uh, mechanisms inside the handlebars that allow the handlebars to vibrate during a forward collision event. And, and the reason why we do that or why we save haptics for forward collision is because haptics is extremely distracting, but it is a very effective way of communication, believe it or not. It's like if we ran this experiment, for example, you know, you and I are talking face to face and you're holding onto your phone, right? And if I secretly dial your number and you have it on silent, I guarantee you, as soon as that phone starts to vibrate or ring, you won't pay attention to me anymore, no matter how hard you try. It's just because there's so much, so many like nerve endings in your hands that you just, your, your body instantly responds to that stimulus, right? So the goal, you know, that's kind of like goal number one for, for Damon is to give the riders this awareness, basically detect what's around us, tell you what's going on. And then, um, you know, moving on from that, you know, one, one question we get asked a lot is why is your motorcycle connected? Like connected to what? You know, and, and this kind of like ties in what Seth earlier said about technology. Well, my background being wireless data, we're pulling information from the bike. We're pulling information from your surroundings. We're pulling information about you as a rider because this crowdsource amount of data, imagine, you know, thousands and thousands of Damon motorcycles, thousands and thousands of riders. Basically, we're uploading this information so that we can make you know, not only the bike smarter, but we can make everyone aware of, 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 you know, surroundings globally. So, you know, it's always been talked about, Hey, if another car sees a pothole three or five miles ahead of, of the person following, could they alert the other car? You know, it's called, you know, V to X or vehicle to vehicle. Well, that standard is still being talked about and hasn't been widely adopted, but Damon, we could do that, you know, through, through the use of uh, the fact that our vehicles are connected to each other. So, you know, that's that kind of the genesis, you know, the reason why we, we decided to do this and then, you know, utilizing technology of today and to make this holistic experience on the motorcycle make a whole lot of sense to our customers. Yeah, I love where you're going. And in terms of, you know, it's, it's interesting because everyone understands the concept today of like a holistic user journey and then or holistic mobility user journey. But that only takes you so far. So you can, you can go through, you can understand all of the, the touch points that your consumer has and kind of how to make them better and how to increase the experience. But where, you're, where we're going with this is that's only like level one. Level two, now you have to then take that and look at the whole technology platform. And how is that interacting with the user experience? And I think, Dom, you brought up a lot of good points because in terms of you know, creating safety for drivers and all of those things need to come together. So it's got to be what is in their field of vision? What are the other pieces of information that's being provided to them? And how do you, how do you keep them focused on what the most important part of driving is? I remember it's a, I remember my, my, my first track day on a motorcycle that the coach basically would, would threaten you. And he would say, if you're riding around the track with a group, and if I ever see you turn back, you're immediately off the track because you, yep. you can't turn your head. Because if you turn your head, it's like you immediately you lose the, the field of vision. It's almost like a distracted driver, right? You, it just totally takes you away. And so, so like you're talking about having those technology enablers that kind of seamlessly work with you and your experience 
to let you know are there clears, are there things in your and that are happening behind you on the side of you in front of you and being able to feed that into the the customer feed that into the kind of the driver to where that they know that allows them to make more informed decisions and to stay focused on the road exactly i've been through a lot of those and i had the same coaches tell me the same thing because they'll tell you right off the bat what's the most important direction right now <laughs> forward <laughs> exactly why are you looking backwards? It's like, do you not care where you're going? This track, you know, these motorcycles are moving at a pretty good clip, you know, despite having this, you know, closed course environment where certain variables are set, you know, there's no curbs, everyone's moving in the same direction. You have the entire road to yourself. Why are you looking back? <laughs> What's the point, right? So it's not to say that, you know, our technology uh, or the technology we employ on, on our products is meant to force you only to look forward but it's meant to allow you to to see in air quotes everything around you without having to, to turn your head around it's like why like i challenge automakers here and maybe some of them are going to call me up and curse me out i i you know what go ahead and do it i love to have the conversation why do i have to look in a mirror for an alert it means that i don't know that my blind spot let's say my left blind spot is occupied until I want it, until I want to. Like, why? What if I never look in my mirror? What if I'm just like dead on looking straight? And to some, that is, you know, some people will look at that as being, oh, you're just an inexperienced driver. You should be scanning the road. But you know what? Ironically, when you scan the road, it's an incredible amount of information that you having to process and digest, right? A human, you know, the human brain can only do so much for so, so long, right? And can you imagine? Coupled with that, you are new to the world of driving, to the new to the world of like the roads, right? I know, I know that there's probably going to be quite a few people that will challenge what I'm saying. Great, I would, I would say this: if I if I dropped you, so you're so used to driving in North America. If I dropped you into India, let's say you navigate your way through there, all right? And my point there is just to say, hey, the road systems are going to be different. And so we have to learn how to adapt to them. And so using technology allows us to adapt in a very linear and somewhat gradual way without being an obstruction. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that you are in danger on the road. Yeah, no, I, and probably last point on that topic is just, it blows my mind today that I was looking at statistics last week something like car crashes or, or crashes in general, still 1.35 million people per year, something like 33,700 3, people per day. And of those, the vast majority is distracted driving, distracted driving. So that's where everything we're talking about in terms of tying it back to safety. You know, you talked about kind of some of your core values and, and really around trying to drive down and make providing a product that really meets the need of the consumer, but then also is able to do it in a way where you're minimizing or removing fatalities. I mean, at Star, we, we are, we're focused on similar items in terms of, you know, we want to build impactful digital solutions. So th there's no reason with why with all the technology that we have today, we should not be having that many deaths. It should not be acceptable. And we should be able to design products and, and work with our customers to design products that help to minimize or reduce these fatalities, you know, especially today with the technology we have. Moving on from safety, which clearly is a massive 
and fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating few years in the two-wheeled world. Now I'd like to talk about electrification. So where do we think electrification of two-wheeled vehicles will get to in the next five to 10 years? Oh, I think um, you'll see more vehicles electrified. I mean, there's already, there's already talk of, not talk, but demonstrations of electric boats, planes, helicopters. You know, they're thinking about outfitting a commercial aircraft with an electric motor <laughs> with batteries. I mean, which is to me, it's funny because it's the greatest irony because I can't ship a battery pack worth a damn uh, over the air because of the fact that it, <laughs> if, it, if it ignites, there's no way of putting it out. Right. So anyways, I'm an engineer. If there's a will, there's a way. So <laughs> that's all good. But I think, you know, funny enough, uh, there's an excellent, excellent question. You know, if you, if you were to ask that question 10 years ago, it would have been a much easier answer because everyone would have said, nah, I don't think it's going to happen because the adoption was just so poor. Today, electric vehicles are the fastest growing segment. It outpaces, it outpaces gas easily. I mean, you know, here's, here's a really, here's a really interesting, um, kind of like tie into that, like with a product that everyone knows, but not, not everyone really pays attention to lawnmowers, <laughs> lawnmowers. They were they started out mechanical, right? Then they went to electric, but it was corded electric, but they were still electric. I used one as a kid. And then they went gas and everyone loved them because, oh, there's no cord. Now they went back to, now they went back to electric because now batteries are so much, you know, uh, so impressive, right? And so I think, you know, electrification, just to tie into that last piece, electrification is definitely tied to two things. One, battery technology. So, you know, is it, is it lighter? Can I, can I get more? Can I get the same useful life out of a battery pack as I do with a tank of gas? And the infrastructure, right? In order to have mass adoption, especially uh, electric vehicles, you need to have the supporting infrastructure to allow uh, charging whenever you want, wherever you want, and also quickly, as quickly as you want it, right? I mean, we're not there yet where you can charge a vehicle as fast as uh, filling up a tank of gas in a car to get the same range, but we're getting close. We're getting really close, you know, just to tie in with Damon. I mean, we have uh, 200 miles of range, which is uh, blended city and highway that that rivals any gas bike easily, any gas super bike in the same, in the same class. So anyone that any bike that can go or that has equivalent 200 horsepower, we effectively are, are as good as, as a on range as a gas, if not better. But, you know, again, infrastructure is, is a really important thing. Gas motorcycles can still fill up faster than I can char charging a bike. They can fill up a gas and tank in two minutes, not even. Whereas, you know, I need at least 30 minutes to get, you know, 80%, right? And that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, it's getting, it's getting a lot better. And this is what, this is where I, I go, Hey, I give the auto industry a high five because they're the ones pushing so hard with this infrastructure. Fantastic. Keep doing that. Right? On the EV front, I think, you know, you, you have multiple things driving it. You have consumer preferences and just focusing on the environmental impact that that's obviously pushing things quite a bit. You have a number of the large OEMs who have already committed and invested significant funds over the next five to 10 years to change a lot of their fleet over to EV vehicles. But the other thing that 
we, we don't give as much press, but if you look at it, I mean, there have been so many countries of the world that are passing regulations and regulations are actually driving a lot of the behavior. So a number of European countries have already done this. They've all got dates around, you know, 2025, 2030, 2035, but they're really pushing the amount of EV vehicles that are going to be on the road. So I think naturally what's going to happen is as the infrastructure becomes more mature for EV vehicles, you're going to see that just happen across the board in terms of, I mean, if you've, if you've got the infrastructure and it's supporting automotive, obviously it's going to support motorcycles and, and a lot, all of the other types of mobility. So I, I think it's, I think it's going to be happen a lot faster than most people think, but it's still uh, something that's in progress. There's a, a one big example that I know of, of a country that's, uh, that has supported electrification so well that half of their vehicles is electric. That's Norway. Norway. Yeah. Yeah. You go to Norway, half of their, all vehicles on the road are electric. They have more electric vehicles per capita than anywhere in the world. And so, you know, if no, no, Norwegians can do it. Sure as hell, we can all do it. Right. So I think that's fantastic. I think it's, uh, it, um, there's so many tangible benefits, uh, you know, aside from, you know, obviously environmental effect that goes without saying, I don't, I don't think we need to like harp on that forever, but you just think about the other intangibles like noise. It's just not as much noise with electric vehicles, right? It allows you funny enough, you know, uh, my experience driving electric cars and, and riding on electric motorcycles. I like on, on the gas motorcycle, I wear earplugs. And the reason why I do that is because the sound even coming from my own bike distracts me, right? Your motorcycles are far from being timid or electric motorcycles are far from being, you know, timid little vehicles. Some of them are extremely powerful in that uh, the amount of torque on those things can rival any, any gas car. I mean, those that have driven Teslas or any other electric vehicles, you, you stomp on the ga gas or the, the accelerator, hold on <laughs> because it's going to take you for a ride, right? Um, so instant torque. Yeah, I think my opinion is that I think we'll end up being, you know, I think the four-wheeled, two-wheeled airplanes, boats, I think they all realize that the UX or the interface between a human to machine is just so critical now. Before, it used to be just very simple information. I mean, Seth Starr and I have, you know, talking at length about the possibilities of redefining how actually kind of changing the acronym instead of like HMI, human machine interface to machine human interface. How does the machine interface with the human now so that they get information when they need it and, and it could change dynamically? I think one of the areas that we were talking about was, you know, the one device that no one can live without nowadays, your mobile phone. I mean, people would sooner lose their wallet than they lose their phone <laughs> because it's literally, you know, it's their wallet, it's their it defines them. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's their life per se, that's going a bit too far, but it, it has their life in it, right? It has their experiences, their memories, all these different things. And, and um, when, you know, at Damon, when we were looking at interfaces, the one thing that we thought that we could not deny our customers, especially the, the customers that we've really done a good job hitting home with, which is again, that millennial class, um, is that the integration of the mobile phone is vitally important. And it's important not just for the on-vehicle experience, but it's also important for the off-vehicle experience. I remember when I was a, a new motorcyclist, 
getting that first motorcycle, that thing was everything to me. I mean, I didn't even have a car before, you know, I had I bought a bike before I bought a car. And regardless, it's your pride and joy. It's probably, you know, one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make, especially as a young person, uh, because of the amount of money it, it uh, commits you to. You want to make sure that it's safe. You want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're in touch with it at all times. And so the experience on vehicle has to be seamless. It has to be integrated. But then also when you're off vehicle, I want you to like have Damon motorcycle on the brain. And it just so that, you know, the one, you know, that it's that, you know, where it is, you know, that it's safe, but more importantly, the motorcycle, our motorcycle can actually tell you, you know, how your day went. Right, your how your riding day went. It can replay what you just did, like not only show you from you know a video catalog kind of point of view, but it can give you statistics. I mean, we are in the data age, right? We are we are in this information era where we get bombarded with so much information that sometimes we don't even know what to do with, right? And so the trick here now, you know, that ties in with you know HMI or MHI or whatever is that how do we succinctly feed information back to you? People always talk about, oh, you have to gather data, you have to gather data, you have to gather data. Okay, great. That's like step one. Raw data by itself means nothing to anybody, okay? If you have data and you add context to it, then you drive insight, you drive meaning, right? And so that the data, with that the meaningful data now helps you become better. And so, you know, I'm just going to quickly just, Going to an example, uh, you know, what Seth had mentioned about going to the track school, right? Going to the track is no better way of learning how to operate your motorcycle and learning how your ability quick, you know, as fast as possible, right? And so whether it be a coach or having some telematic device on your on your bike, if nothing else, to just measure your, your lap time, it tells you whether you're improving or not, you know, it, it gives you information to let you know that, hey, if you just do this one little change, it might make a profound difference in the way you ride and how you perceive things. And, and so I think that is the hidden value that is not as tangible as people can perceive when it comes to, you know, these HMI interfaces. Uh, they're just, you know, on motorcycles. I mean, I think a lot of times we just, we look at the motorcycles as, as, as you know, it's a great little, great thing that we love and we jump on it, we turn on the row and off we go. But at Damon, we hope that uh, with our with our products that it gives you more than just you know get up and go. <laughs> to say. Yeah, I think to follow on Dom and, and kind of think about holistic consumer experience or holistic per, uh, experience for the consumer. You know, I think we we clearly see the companies who are leading in the market today, no matter what type of products they're producing, are the ones that understand what you're talking about. So they understand that there's this there needs to be a seamless synergy between technology, the machine, the person, and they also have to feel like they're they're understood and they're known. If you think about the Amazons, the Netflix, the Apples of the world, they are very good about understanding their consumer so that when you use your device and you use your experience, you feel like it already knows you and you can transfer from, you know, whether it be web, mobile, to an application, to the machine, and it already kind of knows your preferences, it knows what you like, it knows what you don't like. So I think we're seeing a lot of that come through and it has to come through into the mobility experience because that's where people spend so much of their time and their money in their life. And it, so we're seeing all those things come together. And I think you know that's one of the things we always look at when we're looking 
working with our customers, but you have to look holistically and you have to say, okay, what are all the touch points? And then how does that relate to the technology that's being used to make it seamless? And then like you were talking about utilizing the data just from the usage and usage patterns and kind of what the person's doing to understand them and really to you know improve their experience. So that way you have the best possible experience for the consumer. So to try and summarize some of what we've covered today, the three topics we've covered today, so safety, electrification, and UX and UI. So that's what I want to finish off with this final question, which is I'd like each of you to share um, either an example or an implementation of technology in the world of two-world vehicles that we think is going to make the world a better place in the coming years. So we'll go to Dom first. Sure. This is totally a self-serving <laughs> answer, which, I mean, you look at Damon, you look at our hypersport, you look at what we're doing to address everything you just said and you what you said was well 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 said and and you know to echo that motorcycles haven't done anything hasn't changed since since they were invented some would argue that there's nothing to change okay fair enough but there's always an opportunity to make things better and so you know for us at damon you know again focusing on safety as, as the as the primary factor here it's such a small incremental change to this motorcycle that will have such a profound and pardon the pun impact on on our riders. You know, just the fact that you know we can see this technology work so well on cars, and you know, cars make it a huge deal. And motorcycles, I don't know, so I don't, I don't know why, but it seems that they're just happy go lucky to just keep doing what they're doing. And eventually, the buying public will ask why, like what. Why are cars getting safer and motorcycles are not? I mean, if the public doesn't, doesn't question that loud enough, then maybe one day governments will, you know, like cars are getting, going to the autonomous route. Let's just say we get to that point where majority of vehicles on the road, at least four wheel vehicles are now autonomous and the safety, the, the accident rate goes way down. Could it be possible that motorcycles are now banned because they're unsafe? Right. Think about that. And my, my own personal view, I, I, I say that that's not going to happen for some time, but it may. And so why can't, why can't we utilize these technologies, these systems at the most basic level to kind of, you know, have motorcycles intersect cars at some time in the future, rather than having the motorcycle industry be literally being left in the dirt, right? As cars keep trucking along. So I, for one, will never see it. <laughs> Hopefully I will, won't see it in my lifetime that motorcycles are banned. That would be a, a really bad day in my opinion. But, um, you know, that's kind of where, where I sit on things here. I think for myself and, and for Star, you know, it's really about building impactful digital solutions. So going back to just the fatality statistics and how many people are dying per day globally every single day, and then how that's I mean, it's the eighth leading cause of death in the world, which is just, it blows my mind. So like whatever we can do to bring that down, whatever we can do to build solutions and work with customers to prevent that, to save lives, I, you know, I think that's really the primary driver and the focus is, okay, we have the technology, we can remove a lot of the distractions that were there. How do we make it so that these products and services that people are using are going to enable them to drive safer and reduce the fatality rate? That's the goal. So I, for one, I'm going to be leaving this episode with a renewed sense of 
optimism and excitement for the world of two-wheeled vehicles. And I want to thank Dominic and Thess for enabling me to feel that, and I'm sure the audience listening. So thank you both for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I think the core idea here is that, yes, the world of two-wheeled mobility does not get the same kind of attention as the four-wheel world, but there are these three areas which are increasing and improving rapidly for electrification, safety, and customer-slash-user experience. So as these three advance at such a rapid rate, I do expect and I do think we're going to see and hear more from the world of two-wheeled mobility. So I want to thank both our guests, Dominic Kwong and Seth Vogel. And I also want to thank you again for listening. It's an absolute pleasure. Please leave any feedback you have about the show in the form of a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.